What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NFL show. It is Friday and I am Benjamin Solak, which means we are walking you through the upcoming weekend slate of NFL games in week three. I'm joined as always by Kayla Jones and Steven Ruiz, fan of the now 3-0 undefeated league leading Carolina football Panthers. Steven. Best defense in the league. Yeah, what's been your favorite part of the Panthers' uh, early season surge and likely playoff bound performances? Uh, that's, that's a good question. I, I will say this. The team is more entertaining to watch than I imagined. Like I've been seeking out their film every week, which is a departure from the last, I'd say two years. I don't know how long it's going to last. I think the defense is kind of just beating up on bad teams. And once they play a good quarterback and a good offensive line, it's going to come crashing down. But for now, I, I think it's fun football to watch. Although last night wasn't very fun. At seven six, I started thinking to myself, like, "Oh man, the darling of the of the the surprise team in the early season slate losing to Houston in prime time would really be something." Uh, but fortunately, they snuck it out. Is there news on McCaffrey? I haven't seen anything this morning. No, I haven't either. But I I mean, the offense was fine last year, like relatively fine when he went mm. out. So I'm not like overly concerned. And now that they have this three and zero cushion, I think it will be a problem. They'll, they'll be able to navigate. Yeah, I'm not too I mean, Chuba just looks so good as a backup. It's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> poor Houston, too. Uh, I like how everybody just ripping on Tampa, too, for pretty much the entirety of that game. It's pretty sad. All right. On our Friday show, uh, we walk through, as I said, the upcoming Sunday slate. We do it in three ways. We pick games of the week, which are the top games that we want to preview. We pick games which need games, which are interesting games, but still more. Uh, we want to talk about them in a more interesting ways. So we find little buzzwords, little talking points to get through those. And then, of course, give me a reason where we end with trying to come up with at least one half-decent reason to watch the uh, sleepy games on the week three slate. It is a top-heavy week, I want to say, in terms of two really, really good Really, really interesting games, and then not so much in the rest. Um, but Buccaneers Rams has been one that I think has been circled by every NFL fan for a couple of months now. Probably in the season for the season preview and the schedule first came out, people were caring about a uh, Super Bowl champion against the new look Rams. This one belongs to Steven this week. So Steven, Bucks Rams. What's the most? I feel like both sides of the ball, wild stuff. What's the most important thing you're looking for? I'm looking straight at the Bucks offense versus the Rams defense. I know both of us have talked about how we're a little skeptical of this Rams defense so far. Like you haven't seen it play out on the scoreboard, but the underlying metrics kind of point to this Rams defense not being what it was a year ago, which we all expected. But I think I think I think the big difference between this year the defense under Raheem Morris and last year under Brandon Staley is there just seems to be more air in the coverage. I don't know if you've noticed this, Ben, when you watch the film, but it just seems like there's more space. The zone coverages aren't as tight to receivers as they were last year. And even in the run game, I don't think they, they're doing as good of a job of manipulating the numbers in the run box and being able to, to defend the run with a light box. And 
I wonder how that plays out against the Bucks, where who are this team that I feel like you have to pour all your resources into stopping the pass, even though they make that hard to do with the formation stuff they do and how they run the ball. But last year, I thought the Bucks game, the Rams Bucks game, was the first time that I thought, oh, Brandon Staley's not just a guy who's benefiting off of these pieces he has to work with. This is a guy that actually knows what he's doing, and he's he's able to switch things up week to week to defend certain teams. Right. That game last year was the uh, was thirty one to nothing, right? Rams Bucks twenty twenty. Wait, it was twenty seven twenty four. Why did I think it was thirty one nothing? See, I I had the same exact moment this morning. Like I was, I remember that game being a blowout and the Rams just like dominating the game. And then I look up the score and it was twenty seven to four and the Rams and it was like tied in the second half. I was like, I do not remember this at all. Okay, are we like having like? Is there like a weird moment where they like a glitch in the matrix? They lost so this is the Bucks. They lost thirty eight to three against the Saints two weeks before that. But why did 31 and nothing pop to mind? Okay, this is a mystery I will solve maybe during the podcast, but probably not. Sorry to cut you off. Keep going. No, I'm with you on that's what I that's how I remember the game. And I think the defense did dominate the Bucks. It's just that Goff did golf things and got the Bucks back in the game with a couple mm-hmm. turnovers. But that game plan was a lot different from what we saw from the Rams defense for the rest of the year. The way they bracketed the slot receivers, the inside receivers, the tight ends was different. And that's why I think this is a great test for Raheem Morris. Like, is this going to be a situation where you're just calling the same plays as Brandon Staley and, like, you don't really know how to fix the defense or or tailor it to certain opponents? Or will you have a good game plan for this? Or will your game plan look like what your game plan did when you were with the Falcons against the Bucs where you blitzed the hell out of Brady? Mm -hmm. That's Uh, what I want to see. Kalen, as our L.A. correspondent, uh, what's been your impression in terms of Raheem Morris – Firstly, stepping into pretty big shoes with Brandon Staley, the process by which, you know, he kind of decided and communicated, yeah, we're going to try to stick with this defense and then installing it. What did you see over the summer? Are you surprised that the Rams defense is maybe having a little bit of a a, a bumpy transition as they go from Staley to Raheem? I'm not too surprised um, when you consider how young their secondary is. You know, Jordan Fuller is the guy wearing the green dot. He's the guy calling the plays, essentially getting everyone in order. He's a second-year player. Granted, he's a captain, but you're asking a guy transition from, again, Brandon Staley, who's, again, one of the best, I think, teachers in terms of, you know, what they're able to do in terms of dictating coverages and explaining stuff to their guys. And then even going over to Raheem Morris, who I think, again, like he's regarded as still one of the best defensive coordinators, defensive minds in the league. I think it's still a good, like, it's a transition. And I think Jalen Ramsey, you know, has been pretty vocal about how difficult of a transition that is to do. Not that they've done a bad job of it. I think it's just an acclimation process. And, I mean, we're only in week three. So I think, you know, as we get further down the road, maybe we'll see some more improvement. But like uh, Stephen just pointed out, like you're trying to not not essentially copy what Brandon Staley did before, but – I mean, you're trying to replicate the same type of success with guys mm-hmm. who are still acclimating to the league. I get that you have veterans in that unit, but still at the same time, you got to account for the youth. And uh, uh, this week is really interesting, too, because with Raheem Morris, he had to step in and place to Sean McVay essentially yesterday at practice or excuse me, uh, on Wednesday when right. uh, McVay was not feeling well. So it's, it's been a really interesting week, and I wouldn't be shocked at all, you know, if Tampa Bay just kind of does their thing because there's just so much continuity on their side uh, of, of the thing, of the game. How the sick thing. did McVay have to be to miss practice before the Bucks week? Like, that man must have been <laughs> unable to get out of bed. I Just off of my read of Sean McVay, the individual, if he were just, like, not feeling well, he would have been at practice carrying a trash can around in case he needed to puke. You know what I mean? Like, that, I, yeah, I'm that's stunned the he missed practice. I was, too, because it, it doesn't make sense. A guy's just so high energy. On Monday, we talked to him, and everything seemed fine, and then showed up on Wednesday. He's not there. My thing that I'm most curious to see about this week is – you know how there's like 10 billion different unfair Matt Stafford like talking points and data points because of how long he spent in Detroit. Stafford is 8 and 68 career against teams with a winning record. 8 and 68. Now that's QB wins, which means it's not real, but it's also 8 and 68, which is like kind of nuts. And it's still uh, funny. It's still funny yes, to bring Exactly. Like do I think that that matters? <laughs> not actually, but also like a little bit. Um this is the sort of game where like I don't know. I, I think Steven said, I, I like the way you said it, Stephen, where you said, 
there's a lot of air in the coverage. There's just more space in like the same concepts, the same ideas, it's just they're not as quick to, to trigger down and they're not as, as good suffocating the underneath routes. And so I think Brady's going to dice them up. I think the Bucks score 30 and I don't think there's a way you stop them. So really the question for me is, does this Stafford offense, this high powered, we now are a, a vertical Rams passing game. This is our final super Saiyan form. Can it put 35 on the Bucks defense? Because this is the sort of game where I think, especially when you get it early in the season and the Rams defense is still figuring stuff out with Raheem Morris, this is the game you have to win with points. And the whole idea of bringing Stafford in was you could just hang 30-plus on people. This is the first heat check of that idea. So I'm really curious to see how well they perform. And this is a, I think this is a, the type of game that McVay wanted Stafford for. Like exactly. the, When they played last year, they could not run against the Bucks the Bucks. Nobody can run against the Bucks, but the Rams definitely couldn't run against the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh negative 0.48 EPA per run. Success rate of 12 on early downs. Woof. <laughs> 12 <laughs> on run plays. So and success did... rate, I think but by, by, depending on which metric you're looking at means gaining anywhere from 4 to 5 yards on first down, right? And I'm using the the EPA version of success rate, so just a positive EPA. Oh, so yeah, usually like at least then like about five yards, yeah. which means that they're getting five yards on first down one out of every nine attempts. Right. That's rough. And Goff, 23.5 play action rate, which was kind of like his one of his lower uh, mm-hmm. marks of the season and minus six EPA on those play, play action attempts. Yeah. So this was not like a Rams offensive game. when you, How you think of it when Goff was at his best, like you're running, you're getting early runs. You're setting up the play action pass, and he's throwing it downfield. They did not get this. This was a, a drop back game for Jared Goff, and he had to drop back a lot. 51 dropbacks. Right. And you're probably going no play action and going drop back heavy because Bowles is going to blitz, and you don't want Goff turning his back to it. You want him looking out of empty and getting rid of the ball quick. I think, Steven, the point I probably just cut you off on is, like, that's what Stafford can probably do better. Yeah, they don't have to rely on those early down runs in the play action. They could just drop back on first down. I think that's really how you have to attack this Bucks defense anyway. You have to get them in base defense and attack those more basic coverages. They're just going to play the country cover three with Jason Pierre-Paul dropping back in his own rather than when you get in the third and long and they have a billion linebackers at the line of scrimmage and they're able to do all these crazy bit uh, blitz paths mm-hmm. and they could do funky stuff with the coverage. You have to attack this team on early downs or you're going to lose the game. And I will the, say, go ahead, Kalen. I was going to say, like, they didn't have Vita Vey in that matchup either last year. Like, the, that's a big difference that, you know, should impact this one too, is, you know, they probably were able to run the football or at least willing to run the football a little bit more in that first matchup simply because he wasn't there. Yeah, no, uh, Warren asked me on the gambling show on Wednesday, he was like, why are teams so pass-heavy against the Bucks?" And I was just like, because the the big – guy in the middle man like and i know he was out last year for a portion of the year too but it's like you just take one look at that guy especially when you're a rams offensive line's a little bit light and you're just like yeah we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna deal with this that unit's uh, been Jason... playing pretty well this year their offensive line surprisingly mm-hmm. oh dude i will never leave the austin corbett hype train i'll be on it forever uh but no jason pierre ball for this game potentially he's got a shoulder problem and so uh joe Tryon shayinka who's their first round pick who they're really excited about Full full gamut of snaps now. I guess a, a tough offense can be an important game for him. Yeah, the, uh, I, I think this comes down to the defensive line. Like, if the Bucks yeah. defensive line dominates, which I think it's going to have a big game, I it's going to be hard for Stafford to keep up because I don't think he's going to have much of a margin for error because I do mm-hmm. think this is a horrible matchup for the Rams defense. So I'm I'm going to predict the Bucks win, which is boring. I'm tired of seeing the Bucks win and Tom Brady win, but. I'm going to say like 35 to 28, like a high-scoring game. I would take the over if I was betting on this game. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. That's what I did the moment it opened, baby. (laughs) We out here making good fiscal decisions. Kalen, who do you like? I got the Bucs, too. I think they'll win shootout. Yeah, it's a uh, nine-consecutive game record of the Bucs right now, scoring at least 30 points. Disgusting. Just just defensive. So if you can keep them in the 30s uh, and then put up 30 yourself, maybe you got a shot. I'm with you guys. Uh, I think that the Rams look good, but it also doesn't end up mattering as much as maybe we'd like. So I think the Bucks take that one. Uh, our second big game of the week is a game that ended up being like massively franchise-defining for both teams last year. It's Chargers-Chiefs. Uh, this was Justin Herbert's first start in Week 2 last year, uh, and it was also a game which the Chiefs only ended up scoring 20 offensive points. 
in regulation, and it was a Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram show, which kind of started to foreshadow the issues the Chiefs had last year on the offensive line, pass protection, rush with four. Kalen, this one's you, because we're just going to give you Patrick Mahomes every week until he doesn't play anybody interesting. Uh, what are we thinking? Chargers, Chiefs, now in 2021. Awesome. Zeus versus the alien. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned it. Mahomes was under pressure and duress throughout most of that game, only completed 27 to 47 attempts. Um, only had one completion over 20 yards. Really, his only attempt over 20 yards was that 54-yard touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill. The Chiefs went three and out on each of their first three drives. I know that there was an issue last year where they were starting slow throughout games. And I think the advantage for the Chargers last year was they were able to keep the ball in Mahomes' hand by running the football. They rushed the ball 44 times. Um, and the Chiefs' rush defense last year was not very good. This year is not very good. Uh, we saw them struggle last week against um, the Ravens, obviously. Very complex rushing system. Uh, if you look up Stephen Ruiz's article, I'll definitely tease that here. Make sure you check that out. But, um, I mean, going into this matchup, I, I think the best opportunity for the Chargers to potentially win this game, I don't think it's, it's on the, in the, it lies in the ground game. I think it's through the air. And we saw what Justin Herbert was able to do last year, and we've seen what he's been able to do this year uh, just in terms of his talent. Um, I don't know if the Chargers' rushing attack is going to be creative enough to really sustain long drives for them. Their success rate going to Ben Walden's swipe, they're, they're thirty, or excuse me, twenty eighth in, in early down uh, rush success rate to this point in the season. And so, mm-hmm. I think when you look at how this game's got to go, I think you got to really, if you're Joe Lombardi and Brand Staley, you rely on Justin Herbert's arm. I mean, you look at and Ju- Patrick Mahomes' career. This is stupid. I know we just said QB, QB wins are not a great stat, but... Now, as Mahomes, long as we stay beforehand that the stat isn't real, we can use any stat that we want. It's awesome. <laughs> as long as we know that. But Patrick Williams is freaking 39-9 and nine in the regular season. Eight of those nine losses have come where the opponent has scored 29 or more points. So if you're the Chargers, you've got to outgun the Chiefs. And, you know, we've talked about Justin Herbert at length, and we'll probably get into him right here, but he, he is the key to... Uh, the, the Chargers potentially having a victory here. Kaylin, I want to ask because the the early down versus third down numbers for Herbert have been like floating around a bunch, right? Why do we like care about how efficient the Chargers are on early downs relative to third down? Like what's what's the concern here? Is it like the play calling that they're making? Is it just like, oh, Herbert's going to regress on, on third down? Like there's no way he can keep this up forever. Why are we worried about this in terms of how their offense is built? I think you just don't want to put a young quarterback in the situation where you're relying on third down success rate. I mean, it just from a numbers perspective, you don't want to be down to your last opportunity as an offense to remain on the field. So I, I know that, you know, I think Jeff Schwartz mentioned how important it is, you know, how crucial it is for quarterbacks to be successful on third down and how in third and long situations and how that kind of reveals how good of a quarterback you are. That being said, I think that the Chargers can afford to let Herbert play a little bit more freely and let him rip on first and second down as opposed to putting him in a position where he's, you know, in third and six, third and five. I, I think that as the season goes on, you'll probably see a little bit more comfort on the on the field. I know that Herbert, you know, feels like he has the the system down, Lombardi's offense, and I think that he has a great rapport with Keenan Allen and some of his receivers, but it's just like you don't want to put him in that situation. And I think through the first two weeks, they've played against teams, example for like the, the Cowboys last week, who've been able to take advantage of their depleted offensive line, like we saw Micah Parsons have a good time with Storm Norton last week. Yeah, Steven, uh, not like the same question, but in general, can you not maximize one of the three downs you get and still beat the Chiefs? Is it possible? Or is like Herbert good enough to overcome that against this team? No, I don't think he is. Like yeah. Kalen said, like you don't want to put your quarterback in a situation where he has one opportunity to stay on the field. You want to get first downs on first and second down. Avoid third down at all costs. I, I know I'm stealing uh, Warren Sharp's bit of, there. But it's just easier to pass on first down, first and second down for quarterbacks. Like I said, when we were talking about the Bucks in the Rams game, there are fewer coverage players on the field. The pass rush mm-hmm. is usually just like a straight four-man rush, maybe a five-man rush, but it's not complex. The pre-snap looks are pretty static. You, you don't have to worry about disguises as much. It's just easier to pass on first and second down. Yeah. So relying on third down, when you come up against a defense like Steve Spagnuolo's defense, I know they haven't had success on first and second down, but – you play Steve Spagnuolo and you're in third and long, 
all day, you're going to have a bad time because he's going to be able to disguise stuff and you're going to throw a pick or two. And that's, I think, the, the concern with the Chargers offense right now. And we saw this in both of the games, but especially in the Cowboys game, Herbert basically had to be perfect. I think at one point he was seven of eight, 17 of 18 with one pick. Like the ball, ball never touched the ground, touched baby. Ground. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what happens. Like he throws two picks and what they scored like 17, 20 points and they lose a the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they had the, the touchdowns called back with, with penalties. Yeah. The other thing that interests me about Herbert early down passing right now is they're, they're, they're passing more than expected, right? Their passing rate on first and 10 is above average has been for the past couple of games. He's getting pressured a ton on early downs. His right now on early downs, this is from Dan Pizzuto of Sharp Football Analysis. His uh, pressure rate on early downs uh, is 34.3%, second only to Derek Carr among all quarterbacks this year. And I think it's because they're running like a lot of RPO stuff. And so it's going to like just naturally, you know, there's going to be an unblocked guy. It's going to invite a pressure. So some of it is structural. But the idea that like he's getting pressured quick on early downs and his ADOT is still low. His ADOT is 6.5, which is 22nd among quarterbacks this year. It's like, we usually talk about this, this like sliding scale of quarterbacking where it's like, all right, if you're holding onto the ball and inviting pressure, it means you're getting downfield and you're getting explosives. And somehow with the charges right now, it's you're passing more often and you're getting more pressure, but also the throws are shallow and you're not staying, you're not getting explosives. And that is dissonant. You know what I mean? Like, that's not how we usually see quarterback play work. So there's, I think it's like Raheem Morris's defense with the Rams. I think it's new coordinator, you know, Herbert in his second year starting, they changed half of the offensive line. We're figuring stuff out. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, there's going to be a little bit of like, okay, Herbert's definitely good, but we have to experiment in terms of like what we want to be. Like right now, I think Herbert's too quick to his check down. I don't think the Chargers think that's a bad thing, but I do because I want him to push the ball further down the field. But like, like philosophically, I think they're okay with that. You know what I mean? And then you get Austin Eckler three yard dump off and it's second and seven. And they're like, all right, cool. We're on, we're on schedule. Whereas I'm like, just send Mike Williams down the field, man. Like let's, let's do this thing. You know, Mike Williams, ADOT has been like nearly halved of grass. How it was the last two seasons. They're using him as an underneath player. Now, like they're very oriented on efficiency, which is weird because Brandon Staley's their head coach, and his whole thing as, as a defensive mind is, I want to take away explosives. And now his offense like isn't trying to get explosives. That's what, you, that's what you're worried about as a defensive coordinator. To me, it's counterintuitive. There's like a dissonance there that I think they still have to figure out. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we probably didn't talk about enough in the offseason is the fact that Lombardi is running this offense, and he has Justin, development, or Justin Herbert's development in his hands now. And his first time as an OC, it didn't go so well. He got ran out of town in Detroit, and, yep. and they brought in uh, Jim Bob Cooter, and he had, like, immediately improved things across the board. When Jim Bob Cooter is an overwhelming we, You will not disparage Jim Bob Cooter oh, on I, my Friday I, I sure show. as hell will. <laughs> I sure as hell will. This is an anti-Jim Bob Cooter podcast. Let's just <laughs> get that out of the way. But, uh, yeah, when Jim Bob Cooter is a massive upgrade over you, like, are, are we sure this is going to work out in the long run? We'll see. I'm going to give them a long leash to figure it out. I think Staley is a good football mind. He's very analytics oriented. I don't, I think if these trends continue in the offense, eventually they're going to circle the wagons on the bye week and say, we got to change the way we approach this philosophically a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking again, I think the chargers can keep it close. I think that there's a chance that it's a, a very run heavy script run heavier than we've seen. And they're able to, to control the ball against this, this run defense of the chiefs, which is rough, but all in all, I'm, I'm guessing the chiefs are able to win this one. Disagree. No, same. no taking the chiefs. Oh, wow. Chiefs bucks consensus <laughs> picks for games of the week. We are cowards. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash ringer NFL. Just go to indeed.com slash ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're moving on. This is Games That Need Game, our second category. Uh, last week, we had Steven uh, introduce canceling a team. He canceled the Tennessee Titans. They promptly won a multi-score deficit overtime win against the Seattle Seahawks. So, Steven, we go to you, firstly, for your thoughts on a team you've canceled. And secondly, the uh, next team you'd like to cancel into a massive come-from-behind win. The floor is yours. Yeah, I felt pretty good about my pick <laughs> last week, about halfway into the game. And then the Seahawks decided to Seahawk. Tennessee right now is third in the league in DVOA. He goes Atlanta, or third worst. He goes Atlanta, Jacksonville, Tennessee. They're one on one, but they so are. I, I really still rough. feel good about it. They're still canceled. I was going to say, can and we uncancel a team? No, no. We're not gonna, <laughs> once you get canceled, you're canceled for the rest of the season. So if I cancel the Bucks next week, just on a whim, sorry, we're not talking about the Bucks for the rest of the year, even if they're in the Super Bowl. But I didn't learn my lesson. I'm going to cancel another team that's playing the Seahawks. I'm going to cancel the Vikings. And this is more of a, it's not really like a, this is a bad football team and they're not going to win any games thing. Although I think they are not a good football team. It's more of a, I'm, I'm over it. It's, the Vikings have been the same team for four years now or three years, however long Kirk Cousins has been there. And it was the same when they were, when they had Case Keenum actually. And I'm, I'm just over it. Like the defense isn't as good as it once was. I think Zimmer, I don't want to say he's past his prime, but he's not the difference maker he once was where you knew they were going to have a good defense no matter what. And then the offense, enough Kirk Cousins. Like, come on. He's, got, he's made enough money. Go do something else. It's over. You're not going to win a Super Bowl. I'm, Steven, I'm tired of the Vikings. I don't want to watch them anymore. Hoping to see Kellen Mond this season? Is that what you're telling me right now? That's how far you've fallen? I'll uncancel the Vikings if, if Kellen Mond plays. Oh not because God. I like Kellen Mond, because he's not a, a very entertaining quarterback either. But at least it's different. I just want different. Kalen, how worried are we that Seattle gave that game back to Tennessee? Because there's there's a lot of re- ways to, like, a lot has to go wrong in order to give up that much of a lead to a team that's struggling the way Tennessee was struggling. There were defensive problems, there were offensive problems. Uh, there's also just the nature of being the Seattle Seahawks, and as we know, never actually playing a normal game. So, uh, one-off classic Seattle face plant, they're going to be fine, or are there actual larger systemic issues here that you're worried about? Um, I don't know if it'll be a one-off base plant because, like you said, it's the Seahawks. They might find a way to Seahawk yeah, again yeah. down the road. But this is kind of typical, right? This is it, it. It was stupid because one, I I wasn't even watching this game live. Like I I remember seeing the score at halftime and then seeing the final score, and I was like, what the hell happened? Um, and then rewatching it, like you said, there's just been I don't know if there's like concerning issues. I think it it just came down to execution. It didn't look like they were able to find anything offensively, like find a rhythm in that second half. And Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, like the fact that the Titans are not as good as they, you know, not, not that good of a team, you know, they're able to rely on Derrick Henry who just kind of steamrolled through, you know, the the Seahawks defense and kind of had his way. I don't think it's too big of an issue moving forward though. If you're Seattle, I mean, it is an issue, but it's like, like understanding that that's the ghost that you kind of live with behind your sh- like on your shoulder or something like it's always going to follow you if you're the Seattle Seahawks yeah my concern is that uh Pete Carroll was not wrong in saying that they need to be able to run the ball better when they have a lead because they had a lead try to run the ball was on un- were unsuccessful doing so but you always just worry about the lessons Pete Carroll learns from some of these games where it's like ah we had a very explosive passing game but we still lost it feels as if maybe we should run the football more. And you're like, ah, th- th- later. The run answer. the football later, yeah. but do the passing first. That's still good. Uh, right. The, con- the concern, like, there's nothing wrong with what he's saying. Like, you should be able to run the ball when you want to. But, but, yeah, like you said, my concern is, like, there's another option besides running the football better, and it's just passing the ball more. Right. You know, and, like, uh, having a, a quick passing game, which replaces the running game, which isn't conditional on – your quarterback, you know, running around back and nearly taking a sack in the end zone during overtime, which was another thing that Pete Carroll commented on, and he was correct in saying that as well. That's a much deeper conversation. Yep. Uh, all right. We have Bears versus Browns, the Justin Fields debut game, which is sick. This should be a game of the week because of that alone. Kalen, you have a spoiler alert for me. Ruin the game. Spoiler alert. Um, Justin Fields is going to be the Bears. 
Bears starting quarterback moving forward. Like rest of the season? Yeah, rest of the season. I don't think calling Chicago, Matt Nagy a liar right to his face because he listened, yeah right to apparently. his face dude it doesn't make any sense at this point we know what their offense looks like with Andy Dalton behind center and it's not going to be enough to save his job and to me like going into this like narrative wise I thought you know hey maybe you know for Nagy he's holding on to fields weirdly enough and waiting to enroll him later in the season to be like oh I didn't have enough time with him we see we saw the flashes I need one more season like, if that was the plan all along, one, it doesn't make any sense. Two, I mean, it, again, at this point, week three, we know that what Andy Dalton is. We know that Nagy's job is kind of on the line this year. And at this point, I think we've seen flashes from Justin Fields enough to where his stat line probably would have been a lot better had, you know, you not had the Allen Robinson drop. There's another drop uh, in his, his spot Mooney. appearance last yeah, week. Yeah, 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 yeah Darnell Mooney, thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, we've seen enough from Fields to say, hey, maybe we should try him a little bit more because you're going to have a little bit more opportunity as an offense to generate some success and explosive plays. And I think that's really what Chicago's offense is missing. You're already trusting him in the red zone. Why not trust him, you know, throughout the full, full game? Hilarious that after the whole, you don't want to start Justin Fields against Aaron Donald conversation, the Andy Dalton injury forces Fields out in the field against Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett against Jason Peters, 39-year-old street free agent hey, Peters, Jason Peters. Peters has been playing like he's not bad. Like he hasn't been horrible this year. He's been a decent offensive line because he's coming off the couch, which is nuts. He's been fine. It's just, again, like you, you're nervous about him going in there against two former number overall picks uh, coming off the edge against them. But again, the only way he's going to get better is by getting the reps. So let him step out in the field in, in live action and figure it out on the fly. And I think the Bears will be better off for it, not just this year, but down the road. Yeah, you don't want to start him against Aaron Donald, but start him against a guy who once used the helmet as a battering ram against <laughs> another quarterback. Although I think be, not being Mason Rudolph will help Justin Fields avoid that fate. Significantly. <laughs> But uh, I'm interested, Kalen, would you have said this, would this have been your spoiler alert if the Bears were playing a better defense? Or do you think there's something about this Browns defense that's going to make it easier for him to impress and win that job? Um, I think I would have said it regardless, because even if they were going up against like Tampa Bay's defense, for example, like if he looked bad, I, I think there's going to be enough flash plays to where not just fans, you know, of the Chicago Bears are going to be the ones on Twitter clamoring for it. It's going to be all of us who with eyes see that Justin Fields is a much more capable quarterback and has a higher ceiling in terms of what he can elevate the offense to be as opposed to what Andy Dalton can do. And I, I know that Andy Dalton has shown that he can scramble a few times, but I've seen Justin Fields run, you know, his 4-4-40, and I've seen it live in action last week. I want, I'd rather see the options that he provides, that, op, that offense, as opposed to what Andy Dalton provides, especially in terms of pushing the ball downfield. I'm pretty sure he has one of the highest ADOTs, you know, even though it's limited reps and limited snaps and attempts, but he's, he's already shown that he's willing to do things that, other, that Andy Dalton was not a, willing to do when he's in there. Same division as the Browns, AFC North. It's Bengals at Steelers, uh, which Steven has down as a must-win game. Did your must-win team? Yeah, Patriots. Patriots won last week. Okay, so this one you're actually so far one for one, successfully hitting on. Uh, must hey, win hey, game. hey, hey, I'm two for two. I put the Broncos on must-win watch week one. Oh, congratulations. You're, yep. you're doing great. Um, okay, Bengals at Steelers. I who? It's must-win for who? The Steelers. Like, it's never a must-win for the Bengals because we just don't assume they're going to win. Like, they're never on must-win watch. It's must-win for the Steelers. You can't, one, you can't lose to the Bengals. And two, I just needed a way to shoehorn in some more Ben Roethlisberger's wash talk, which I try to get in on every podcast. But, Ben, you wrote an article about it this week, so I feel like it's, it's like an apt discussion. We should Here, be talking about here's, it. But here's the thing, though. Like, the idea was that new offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, who was the quarterback's coach last year and replaced Randy Fickner, who was fired. The idea was that like he was going to bring in more play action and more pre-snap motion. They were going to do play action from under center. They were going to do these things that we see through data and we also see heuristically as we watch film at the overarching league level helps. It is better to have pre-snap motion than not. It is better to have motion at the snap than not. It is better to run play action than not. It is better on play action from under center than to run play action from shotgun. Like we see all those things at the league level through data, whatever. The Steelers are doing a lot of that. 
they did actually a lot of motion last year and they're doing roughly the same amount this year, but they're doing more play action and more from under center, whatever. And it's not mattering because the player is too limited, right? It's not like this helps Jared Goff, so it should help Ben Roethlisberger because they're both like eh, quarterbacks at this time. It helps Jared Goff in the aspects of the game in which he is limited, which is like, it's hard for him to read a field. It's hard for him to anticipate blitzes. And so you get wide zone flow, you get boot action, you get him outside of the pocket. He's going to be able to see the free rusher coming and it's going to give him an easily defined read and give him half field read stuff. It's going to be great. Roethlisberger has always been smart enough that he can do this. And that's why he doesn't like under center play action, right? We talk about how, oh, like, why would you ever not run play action? Some quarterbacks don't like it. Peyton Manning didn't like it because he wanted to be able to see the defense at all times. He never wanted to turn his back to the defense. So Roethlisberger wasn't deficient in who do I throw the ball to? He's deficient in can I get the ball there fast enough? And even when you put in pre-snap motion, even when you put in play action, right? Like they ran like a jet sweep, under center, play action, fake screen, like classic, this is how I generate an explosive play cheaply sort of play. It's like your, your go-to trickeration play to get a vertical route open. And Roethlisberger went to hit it against the Raiders and couldn't. Casey Hayward knew that effect. He can't drive the football. So it doesn't really matter what, what lipstick you put on the pig, still pig, right? Which is not like that's mean, but it's to say that you cannot solve this problem with just conventions of modern offense. It doesn't work. Uh, and so the Steelers offense- just got like, blocked by Ben Roethlisberger, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm not blocked by Ben Roethlisberger, actually, which I take with great pride. I changed. But I probably am now. Um, they're simply like, they've won games with this offense. They did it against the Bills. It wasn't pretty, but like they've gotten it done. Defense is good enough and whatever. But it's just not a threatening offense. And in, in my opinion, the other side of the ball in this game is also not a threatening offense. So to me, it's just not a very- like I get why it's muscling for the Steelers, but all in all, like it's just not a game where I'm like, woo points. Like, I think it's just going to be very tedious to watch. I think it's going to be for the Bengals. It's going to be one of those. If they w- lose and lose ugly, it's going to be a the discussion is going to be, is Zach Taylor the, the right guy for this? Are they failing Joe Burrow? And if they win, it's going to be, oh, Zach Taylor's got them on the, the, right track and Joe Burrow's good. He's coming back. He's getting healthy. Mm -hmm. So I think it is a big game for that, that franchise. It's just that the franchise doesn't really matter for the rest of the league. But if the Steelers lose this, I mean, I'm of the opinion that this is enough to stay in the playoff race, like the good defense, whatever you want to call this offense, it's enough to keep them in the the race. Like it was last year, they got out to an 11 and no start, but if they lose this one, I don't think it's going to be enough to stay in the race. I think this is going to look more like what we saw in December last year, just over the course of a full season. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to move from these two turtle offenses to another turtle offense, uh, which is the Patriots. Patriots have the saints at home this week. Uh, a quick thoughts and prayers go out to James Winston, throwing the ball against the new England passing defense, which by the way, the whole like Belichick, like I was thinking about this with the Zach Wilson thing. Right, like, oh, like Belichick's so good against rookie quarterbacks, right? Like he like he forces them into bad decisions. He's gonna force James into picks. He's just playing man. Like he's not they're not like he's not doing, I mean, he does like cool stuff, right? And he, like, you know, changes who the robber is, like he gets cool pressures or whatever. But it's also like he's not calling like the interception defense. He's calling the we can cover you defense. That's what he's gonna do against Jameis. So thought and prayers to Jameis. Um, but I do have a buyer selling for you guys because we're two weeks in. There's a lot of discourse about Wilson's four interception game. Uh, Lawrence right now has had two multi-interception games in two weeks. Uh, buying or selling that Mac Jones has been the best of the rookie quarterbacks to start the season. Kalen. Damn, that's a good question. That was a good question. I don't know. I think I'd sell it. I, I, I'm like on the fence about that because look at Wilson is – you, you've mentioned it a few times on the show. Like Wilson, the way that he learns is by just trying shit. Like mm-hmm. he's out there doing shit. And I think – the Jets are not in position as a franchise to where they're going to compete right now. So I'm not surprised he's struggling. I'm not surprised he, you know, he had a four interception game last week because that's how he's learning. Um, that being said, I think Lawrence has probably had more flash plays and I think he's struggled a little bit too. Like there, there's been times where you're like, okay, he's making rookie mistakes. I think the only reason why Mac Jones would be the person you buy here is because, and I think Steven mentioned it last week, like, Mac Jones doesn't really try to be aggressive as a passer. Like, if you were going to look at his next-gen passing chart from last week, I don't think there's any – there's too many passes that go past the 15-yard mark. Mac like, Jones is currently second-worst among – yeah, he's currently second-worst among quarterbacks in air yards per attempt. Only Matt Ryan is lower, which the, well, 
what they're doing with Matt Ryan right now in Atlanta is a whole different conversation. But yeah, it's <laughs> yes. shallow stuff for Matt Jones. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. He looks like he's doing barely better than the shell of Matt Ryan at this point. So, I mean, kudos to him. He's doing what they're asking of him, which is keep them in the game. Don't turn the ball over. Don't try any crazy shit. Matt Jones is doing that. But I, I don't really – I'm not confidently buying that he's the best of the rookie quarterbacks only because he hasn't been asked to do too much. Steven, I'm pretty sure you're selling on that one, but I do want to hear your take. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult question to answer. I'm going to I'm gonna go opposite of Kalen. Terrible question, Ben. I hate this <laughs> question. But no, I, like, what do you mean by best? Obviously, production-wise, he's been the best. He's avoided mistakes at the, the highest rate or the best rate. But no, like, if you watch these guys and you use your eyes, and the, if the question is, who am I taking – like, if we go back to the draft and we know what happened through the first two weeks, I'm still taking Lawrence. I'm still taking Fields over him. I feel like the Wilson-Mac Jones debate is a valid one. I would, you know, I think that's probably closer. But Lawrence, it's clear that he's a very talented quarterback and that mm-hmm. I think he has a sense of what's going on. He just doesn't know what he can get away with yet. And he's testing those windows. He's, he's right. learning. And he's going to throw a lot of interceptions this year doing that. I think that's what Peyton Manning did when he threw his 30 interceptions during his rookie year. Yeah. But with Jones, it's like his bad plays look like good plays in the box score. That's why the stat line is always going to be a bit deceiving. But when you're you're turning down semi-open throws downfield to throw a check down that's doomed to fail, like that's not good quarterbacking. What he's doing is not good quarterbacking, even if the stats say it is good quarterbacking because we tend to think, oh, he's getting rid of the ball quickly. He's got a high completion percentage. He's not making mistakes. But, yeah, sometimes those are negatives, and I think this is one of those times. Yeah, it's always a big part of the should I start or should I sit a rookie quarterback conversation, which we have all through July and August, and we never, ever talk about how do these quarterbacks learn, right? Like, how, do, how does Lawrence, how does Wilson learn? He learns by trying stuff. How does Mac Jones learn? Probably a different way. Like, he's rumored to be, like, this huge playbook junkie. He was, like, asking Dante Hightower for pages out of the defense playbooks to understand what they're doing. You know what I mean? So, like, Mac isn't going to go out there and test that window. Trevor Lawrence, who has a CPOE, completion percentage over expectation, of negative 20 right now, which just means he's trying all the most difficult possible throws on the field, is going to try by, is going to learn by trying. He's going to learn by, by trying to do the stuff he could do at Clemson and seeing how fast the opposing defenses are, how well they can play on the ball, what zone windows he can hit. Like, there's different ways to learn, and that's how you have to modulate kind of how you get your quarterbacks out there. Uh, okay, I have another buying or selling for you, uh, also quarterback-related. This is Washington at Buffalo, uh, which is like a weirdly very interesting game for two teams who are a little bit underperforming and maybe had some playoff hopes, so kind of a big one. Uh, it's been two rough weeks for Josh Allen, so buying or selling, Caitlin and Steve. Josh Allen won't ever play at the level he did in 2020 again. Steven, you're first up for this one. Oh, I'm buying. You set me oh, up for no. this one. Yeah. I'm buying. I don't even think that's like a hot take. He was really good in ways that are hard to replicate, especially for him. He was so accurate last year, and we've never seen him be accurate before or since, since we've have, we have two weeks of data. And he wasn't very accurate in the playoffs either. So – that small sample size, which is really like two streaks during the regular season, broken up by a little dip in the middle of the, the regular season last year, which doesn't get brought up enough. Yeah, I'm selling. I don't think that's who we can expect him to be. If the Bills think that's who he's going to be for the next 10 years, I think they're wrong. I, but I do think it's somewhere in the middle of 2019 Josh, which wasn't that bad. It wasn't good, but it wasn't that mm-hmm. bad. And 2020 Josh, who's an MVP candidate. If he could be like a top 15, top 10 quarterback every year for the next 10 years, the Bills will be happy, and they'll be happy with what they paid him. I, It's just hard to expect. Everything mm-hmm. went right for them last year, including with Josh Allen and his accuracy and his downfield throwing and plays under pressure, which we know aren't consistent. I, I just don't see how they catch that lightning in a bottle again. At least it, maybe like we get another random year where he go, he's an MVP candidate, but I don't think he's going to be a perennial top three, top four candidate for the rest yeah, of his career. I think that's fair. Uh, Kalen, which team losing makes you more concerned for them long-term, Washington or Buffalo? Um, I said Washington because, mm. again, their quarterback situation, as much as we're talking about Josh Allen right now, I think their quarterback situation is a little bit more finicky. And I know that 
obviously they're playing in the, the NFC East, which gives them more margin for error because of the opponents that they, they face within that division. But that being said, I mean, you would expect that Washington would show signs that they are a playoff caliber team. I know that in week one, they hung with the Chargers, who we believe is a playoff caliber team. Um, but the way that they looked against, you know, the Giants, you know, finding they mm-hmm. found a win, good for them, but they probably didn't deserve the win. Um, and then even going against the Bills, if they don't, if their defense especially cannot limit Josh Allen in this offense, like if Josh Allen even shows signs of looking like Josh Allen from 2020 and their offense looks abysmal, then we have to have significant questions about whether or not Washington is a real team or kind of the team that we overhyped in the offseason coming into the year. Huge, huge, huge William Jackson game because he was their big money free agent at corner. And boy, oh boy, when you're getting cooked by Darius Slayton and you've got Stephon Diggs next week, brother, <laughs> we better strap up. Here we go. Uh, okay, I've got timeline therapy down for Packers at 49ers, and that one belongs to you, Kalen. I haven't looked at these tweets at all, so I do not know what the therapy session is, but play some light music, got some rain sounds. Go ahead and walk me through it. Oh, my gosh. This is a session for uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, who – Similar to Mac okay. Jones, we, you know, again, statistics will say, oh, good job. You're, like, making the smart th- throws, um, not making too many turn- turnover-worthy plays. But this is a guy who, again, fourth in EPA, but 21st, I guess, pro football focus has him in their grades. Um, we're still waiting for him to really show that he's willing to push the ball downfield. Steven, you tweeted uh, this next-gen stats graphic. He's only attempted two passes that have gone 20 yards or more this season. And then when you consider that, um, looking at the pressure rates, he's literally second at 11.7 in terms of pressure rate. He's hasn't been pressured too much, and that's because of his unwillingness to really hang on to the ball and be sort of a check-down Charlie at this point. So – I'm waiting for them to give the keys to Trey Lance. I think there's a lot of reasons as to why that transition hasn't happened yet. Lance doesn't have too much experience playing the position, didn't play um, at all last season. He played the one game against ACU. Um, Outside of that, um, really only has, I think, less than 30 games of total experience playing the quarterback position. So I think there's a reason as to why Kyle Shanahan is slowly bringing him along, but... This is the same story with Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, or I guess Mike Zimmer's Vikings. Like, I'm kind of tired of seeing the Niners offense look the way that it does. I want something different, and I know that Kyle Shanahan has an opportunity to, to give the keys to Trey Lance whenever he's ready, but it, it's not pretty. Like, that 17-11 to win against the Eagles was not pretty. I did not enjoy rewatching that. Yeah, and it was uh, a really – it was just a bad game for Garoppolo. It was not accurate, which the only way you hold off Lance right now – is accurately making the throws that Lance is missing. Once you're doing that, there's no, there's no utility to playing you over over Lance. Uh, yeah, I, that's what I don't get. Is like, what's the benefit? You're yeah. are, you're calling plays as if you have a rookie quarterback. You're calling a bunch of screen passes, which Garoppolo is still finding a way to mess up. You're, he's throwing the ball at or around the line of scrimmage almost every play. Your your offense is made for a rookie quarterback to play the rookie, and I feel like Lance's shortcomings like you said his accuracy jimmy hasn't been accurate he can panic in the pocket i think jimmy we've seen him do like triple spins in the pocket before it's it they're like the same quarterback kind of like in terms of how they mentally approach the game like this one's actually built for it but one can do other all this (laughs) other cool shit and we have kyle shanahan who can design the coolest offense we've ever seen around it just like let us have Mm -hmm. it please i'm tired of waiting Miners are down to like their sixth string running back or something. Uh, Garoppolo looks bad. If there's a team to get Lance some reps against and give him some confidence by running just a great rushing attack, it's against the Green Bay Packers rush defense, baby, <laughs> on Sunday night football. Just straight 2019 NFC Championship game the heck out of these guys. You know, Colin Kaepernick once rushed against the Packers defense like 200 yards or something in the playoffs? Like, just make the Packers the constant heel of San Francisco quarterback, rushing quarterback development. They are the foil. They are the ones you bully. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we see Lance soon. If you get another one or two Garoppolo games you got against the Eagles, I think it's, it's got to happen. He's not playing well. Uh, our final game that needs a game is the Miami Dolphins, who are visiting the Las Vegas Raiders. Tua Tungo-Iloa confirmed out for this game, which means Jacoby Brissett is starting, which means eek. Uh, the thoughts and prayers in this game go out to Austin Jackson, Jesse Davis, and Liam Eikenberg. 
some combination of those three will be the two starting tackles. Uh, Jesse Davis was injured during the game against Buffalo after giving up the hit that got Tua injured. Eichenberg had to replace him. So they both play right tackle. They both look pretty rough. And then Austin Jackson plays left tackle. He's probably the worst starting left tackle in the league uh, right now. Like there's probably there's some backups who I think are playing worse, but Austin in terms of like guy who has the starting job, really, really rough. They face Yannick Ngakwe, who has nine pressures on the league. Just, excuse me. They face Yannick Ngakwe, who has nine pressures on the year. That's just outside the top 10. And Max Crosby, who has 19 pressures on the year. That is the most in the league by four. Next closest is Eric Armstead with 15. Uh, Dolphins offensive line is fourth worst in sacks allowed through two weeks. Jacoby Brissett also doesn't move or get rid of the ball quickly. He's a very high sack quarterback player. Uh, they're seventh worst in QB hits allowed and fifth worst in pass block win rate. Uh, I don't think the Raiders defensive front can keep this up. But I also don't think this is the week that it stops because they have the easiest matchup of already an easy uh, start to the season against Miami. I think Brissett gets sacked like five times. In like the first quarter? I just Steven <laughs> five times in general. Uh, he, he's the slowest player, the <laughs> slowest quarterback in the league. And I don't mean like speed wise, just everything he does is in slow motion. It's, it's prolonged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I tweeted this out on Sunday. If you, if, there was like a five Mississippi rule institute in the NFL. He might be the best quarterback ever, but we won't know. <laughs> he doesn't make any decisions before three seconds. All I want to know is what will happen to John Gruden if after the Raiders got Ryan Fitzpatrick last year and it knocked them out of the playoffs, right? Fitz coming back into that game for Tua and then beating the Raiders, knocking them out of the playoff picture. What if Brissett Fitzpatrick's them again? Just Tua's backup coming in, knocking the 2-0 Raiders down a peg. Oh, man, he'd explode on the sideline. I'd love to see it. I hope it happens like every year for the rest of his contract. And like the quarterback that does it just gets a little bit worse every year. Like by year <laughs> 10, it's Nathan Peterman knocking him out of the playoffs, which would nah. be a, a total betrayal because Gruden's yeah, the only reason Peterman's in yeah. the league. He's never letting Peterman off the roster, man. You got to protect your assets. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Okay. We got six games left and they're all pretty bad, which means we go to our final segment on the show. That is give me a reason where I do my best to give uh, Steven and Kaylin a reason to watch the games. Uh, you will know how well I performed by the reaction sounds that they get. I'll get a ding if I get it right, and I'll get a buzzer if it is not compelling enough. Uh, I feel good about most of these. There's a couple that were really rough. Uh, so six games left on the slate. Which one you, would you all like first? Give us Colts at oh, Titans. Great conversation. Going right off of the Raiders. Good segue. Colts, Titans. Uh, Carson Wentz somehow sprained both of his ankles against Los Angeles Rams. Didn't know you could do that. Assumed the sprain was a one-off thing. You weren't allowed to do both at the same time. Congrats to Carson for just further having the worst injury luck of any quarterback or player in the NFL. Uh, it was reported that he practiced today as we're recording this on Friday. There was not a lot of optimism during the week that he would start, but this practice, maybe he does start. With that said, banged up Wentz, dealing with injury, and with a backup quarterback behind him has historically not gone well. Uh, Nick Foles in 2017 obviously comes in and then ends up winning a Super Bowl for the Eagles. Jalen Hurts comes in in 2020 and takes his job. Foles also in 2018 uh, took over for Wentz being banged up and won a playoff game. Like, it is just, if you are a quarterback who wants to uh, get a quick career renaissance, backing up Carson Wentz is the move. And so we go to the inimitable Brett Hundley, ex-fourth round, fifth-round pick uh, out of UCLA. He was the uh, Aaron Rodgers backup there for a while, if you remember that. That was fun. It was the Deshaun Kaiser year when Rodgers was out. Uh, he bounced around to the Cardinals, and then he signed with the Colts off the street in the summer uh, to give them a little bit of insurance during Wentz's first foot injury that whole period. So may I interest you in a potential Brett Hundley career renaissance because he's Carson Wentz's backup by the laws of the universe that means he has to play well. 
I'll take yeah. it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you're you're watching a Brett Hundley game. In I love Brett Hundley. I, I saw him in person when I was like in college. I can't help it. Or actually, before I got in the he's college, he's still the so. same player. You don't yet. Nothing's changed. <laughs> I can't. But Steven, I can never get Steven on the like watch bad player for fun. That, that's something that I like to do, but Steven just never buys it. I know. That's why you're an Eagles fan. That's oh, okay. <laughs> Let's relax here, Carolina Panthers. All right. Five games, five games on the docket. What do you want? Uh, let's do Falcons Okay, and this Giants. one's a tough one. Let's be honest. Uh, again, it's selling it for bad reasons. This is our only 0-2 versus 0-2 matchup of the week. So somebody's got to win. Uh, we're going to knock off a winless team here in this matchup. Uh, I do posit that this is potentially the first game of the season in which both fan bases are rooting for their teams to lose. I think probably the draft position excitement, hope for the Giants fan base making a quarterback change or a GM change. I think they were getting some of that. Might get some Joe Judge sprints at the end of the game. That doesn't actually happen, but I would love if it did. Uh, we also get Kadarius Tony yardage watch. Right now, uh, the Giants first round pick has two catches for negative two yards, which means he's averaging one catch from negative one yard of the season. Uh, and he's obviously facing Kyle Pitts in the battle of underused Florida pass catching weapons, potentially overdrafted players. That's the best I got for you. Who knew that uh, getting away from tr- tr- uh, Kyle Trask was bad? <laughs> right, thing. a shock. You think it would be the other way around. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'll watch this one. And it's mostly because Daniel Jones versus the Falcons in a game that I think is going to be close late, something's got to give. You got the Falcons, the cursed Falcons aura. Daniel Jones' ability to turn any situation into a turnover or a fumble. Like, he might fumble – on a Hail Mary attempt and still win somehow. I was going to give uh, a reason, which is watch to see which Giants receiver drops the pass that ends up losing the Giants the game. Evan Ingram's got one. Darius Slayton's got one. See if we can get Sterling Shepard in there. But yeah, there's a bunch of sad reasons to watch this game. But in general, I got nothing for you that's like solid. You should have went with that one because you had me at the misery. You started going that track and... I don't know. I, I, you know, you can't sell me on this game. Like, it's just, it's not a good game. I gotta do more. Uh, I'll be praying for, Ch- I'll be praying for Charles McDonald yeah. though. That buzzer is heartbreaking, man. That really hurts. And Isaiah <laughs> sits on it too. He gives it a couple of seconds. Well, ah. all right, four games left. What do you want? Uh, your Eagles versus okay, Dallas Cowboys. This is Monday Night Football, so I win by default because you have to watch it because it's prime time. It's the only game on. That should be a ding because there's no way they're not watching it. But. Thank you. Uh, Michael Parsons uh, played defensive ends for the first time since high school. Uh, he was a uh, defensive end in high school, moved off ball linebacker for the Cowboys or for the Penn State Nittany Lions, excuse me. And um, the Cowboys talked about putting him in that role, but then with some injuries to Marcus Lawrence, Randy Gregory, they played him and he had eight pressures at defensive end, uh, which is the most of any rookie since Nick Bosa in 2019. Cowboys fans are positive. This means he's good. I don't think any of them could name the tackle he went up against. We can since Storm Norton, which means we talked about Storm Norton in back-to-back weeks now. Our friends. Um, so Micah goes from Storm Norton to Lane Johnson, which is about as substantial a change as you can take at the right tackle position. Uh, so firstly, watch to see if Michael Parsons gets eight pressures against Lane Johnson, because if he does, he might legitimately be one of the best rookie edges we've ever seen, despite never playing the position. But also watch because I think the Cowboys are legit. I think the Cowboys are the most legit team we've really ever had in this segment. We have the Ravens and the Cardinals in this segment this week as well. But the Cowboys were toe-to-toe with the Bucks. They went toe-to-toe and beat the Chargers, uh, a team that we expect to be good. Uh, I think this is a home game for the Cowboys against a divisional opponent. I think the Cowboys win this one big and kind of cement that they're the team to beat in the NFC East. So one, watch for fun, Michael Parsons. Two, watch because the Cowboys are good. Wow, good job. Yes. Good job, Ben. You sold me. I'm with I'm with uh, Kalen here. Uh, I want to. You didn't even mention Dak Prescott. Well, the Cowboys are good because he's good. Right? Tune in. Yeah, but I yeah, I feel like the Cowboys defense is better than we gave it credit Agreed. for after that first game. Are the perf- the performance in Week One was better than we realized while we were, mm-hmm. were watching it because this Bucks offense is a buzzsaw that's going to run through everyone. And they were at least forcing Brady to make some difference. And that's the thing is right now they're very turnover dependent and they have uh, gotten some key turnovers like in the red zone as well. Uh, You think about the Chris Godwin one in week one, you think about the Jerron curse or Devontae Kazee interception in week two, they've gotten some really timely turnovers. The Eagles have been very safe with the football, haven't turned over the ball yet on offense. Uh, That's an interesting 
what's going to give a little bit. So I think that the Cowboys defensive turnover performance is probably hiding some stuff, but if you can be a turnover heavy defense, it's good for you. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to sustain that, but you can, if you guys are ball hawks. So uh, I'm glad I got that one. I've got three games left. Two I've got really good answers for. One is absolutely terrible. What do you want? Give us the terrible. Okay. Ravens at lions. Here's what I have written in my notes. Lamar. <laughs> I, I, I was like, listen, <laughs> if I just go with Lamar Jackson, it's fun to watch. Simple is, keep it simple, stupid. Simple is best. Uh, I cannot give you, like, Lions have, are starting multiple undrafted free agents at corner right now because of injuries. The Ravens' passing game isn't good enough to do anything about that. Uh, the Ravens' defense isn't as interesting as it was because of personnel issues. So to me, it's just, you remember watching Lamar against the Chiefs? Remember how that was fun? Here's also a bad defense. Want to do it again? This is this is what I imagine Greg Roman's game planning meetings are like. He's just like, <laughs> I just have a piece of paper and just says Lamar on it. Nothing else is going to work. But Lamar. Greg Roman should start to employ the John Harbaugh strategy of being like, Lamar, what do you want to do? Because <laughs> that would probably lead to some better coordinated <laughs> offense. But yeah, I'm watching not only Lamar, and I say this every week because the Lions have been in this segment every week. The Jared Goff experience is, is fun. Like He looked like a real-life mm-hmm. quarterback in the first half on Monday, which just set us up for the, the second half where he started fumbling the ball. Or th- I don't even remember what happened, but he, he started doing Jared Goff things. And I'm <laughs> yeah. always down for that. I, uh... I think yeah, Anthony Lynn and Aaron Glenn are good coordinators for mm-hmm. sure. Like They, they make the Lions very much watchable. I think they'll, they'll give the Ravens as good a game as we expect, or a little bit more than we expect the Lions to ever really yeah. give them, which, I mean, they'll probably lose, but. I, uh, yeah, no, I, I had the Lions, I had the, the Niners beating up the Lions in week one and the Lions backdoor covered. And then I had the, I had the Lions backdoor covering against the Packers and they didn't do it. Now they're facing another contending team. And I'm like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm not betting on these Lions who just keep trying in the fourth quarter, driving me nuts. Uh, Get more tips like that on the, the Ringer yeah. gambling show. That's right? me, who had an absolutely <laughs> horrible week two. Uh, okay, two weeks, two games left. Excuse me. Uh, what do y'all want? Uh, give me the Cardinals at the Jaguars. Okay, this is our new segment that I made up for fun, um, which is called Urban Decay, uh, which is not about uh, cities generally falling apart in the postmodern era, but it's about Urban Meyer slowly hating his life. Um, our Urban quotes this week, <laughs> Stephen looks so mad at me right now. Our Urban quotes this week are: uh, He told Vic Fangio after the week two loss to the Broncos. Uh, quote, Urban told me every week in the NFL is like playing Alabama. It's worth noting that one of the two teams Urban has played has been the Houston Texans, and he still has experienced every single week in the NFL like it's playing Alabama. Uh, he So the question here is, what if instead of playing Alabama, you were playing Texas Tech? Because this whole like every week in the NFL is playing Alabama thing mm-hmm. presumes that all of these really good NFL teams, all of these really good NFL coaches – could go and like also dominate at the college level. Like that's what's being suggested because that's what Alabama does. Well, the head coach of the Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury, was definitely not a dominant college coach. We're positive. Cliff himself said this. Uh, there was a quote where he got asked about what it was like to be playing Urban Meyer and like obviously their background and whatever. And he just like muttered into the mic in an extremely funny fashion. Yeah, two extremely successful college coaches because obviously Urban is historically successful and Cliff wasn't. Cliff was not a very good college coach. So obviously like NFL rosters make it different. But if you ever wanted to watch Urban Meyer lose to the head coach of basically the Texas Tech Red Raiders, log in tomorrow and, or Sunday and watch Cardinals versus Jacks. Good job. This is a good song. I like this, this really one, right? Um, I like, I like I the way that you track with this Texas Tech versus the- – I, I don't know, Ohio State. Is, does, does Jacksonville even right. resemble Ohio State that much? Um, Kingsbury was 35 and 40 in his time at Texas mm-hmm. Tech. I still don't know how he's a head coach in the NFL, but Kyler Murray is fun as hell. And this year, I think even Steven wrote about it. Like, Kyler Murray looks great, and he's probably going to look like an uh, MVP contender. We'll probably have this discussion going into next week after he beats up on the fighting Urbans. I think it's it's not only so amazing that Cliff went 35 and 40 and is now the head coach in NFL team, but it's also if he weren't the head coach of the NFL team, he would have been the offensive coordinator at USC, which is falling apart right now at the seams in terms of their football experience. So not only did he like massively fail upward, just going from like Texas Tech head coach to USC offensive coordinator, 
he dodged a humongous bullet in failing upward again and becoming the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. I respect it immensely. He did. Uh, anyway, tune in next week to catch more Urban Decay as he continues to give quotes. I didn't even bring up the graphic. Don't give up on us yet, Jacksonville. Okay, you're 0-2, man. It might be a little bit early for the don't give up on us graphic. Okay, last but not least, we got uh, the Jets at the Broncos. Listen, Zach Wilson, this is not a hard one. Zach Wilson threw four picks last week against Bill Belichick, as we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, Bill Belichick defenses are 22 and six against rookie quarterbacks over the course of his time in New England. Since Vic Fangio started coordinating defense, uh, his defenses are 19 and nine against rookie quarterbacks. So that's a win percentage, just a little bit lower than Bill Belichick's on 2020. They, they faced Tua. Uh, Tua was 11 for 20 for 83 yards and six sacks in that game against the Broncos. And then he was eventually yanked for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, they also played Justin Herbert twice. Don't ask me how Justin Herbert did. Doesn't matter. Justin Herbert is a cheat code. I don't want to talk about it. So, uh, right, the Zach Wilson four-interception game, you saw the timeline reacting to it. You saw each interception was worse than the last. If you want to see that snowball keep rolling down the hill, tune in to, Jack's, or to Jets Broncos. I'm going to I'm gonna uh, say I'm not watching it just so I can hear the buzzer again. There I'm sorry I performed so well for you that the buzzer wasn't included enough in the show. But, no, yeah, that's the only reason to watch right is to see how many interceptions he throws i like ben you mm-hmm. can attest to this sometimes you watch vic fangio's film and you watch his defenses and it's very hard even with the all 22 view to know what coverage they're in and to dissect that i can only imagine how hard it is to do it from a field level as a rookie quarterback i don't think zach wilson has seen any defense like mm-hmm. this and it, I mean, I would not be surprised if he threw another four interceptions. I tried to look into the history of, like, back-to-back four interception games. I don't think I was doing the query right on Stathead, but I can guarantee there's not that many. So that would be fun to see, but also I would feel a little bad. Still, I'm going to say you didn't sell me on it either. Everybody was having so much fun watching him throw four picks last week. How is me saying that again doesn't work? No, no, we weren't having fun watching it. We were having fun seeing the videos and the no. clips on Twitter. Exactly. We didn't have to so actually tune in. To see right, so that, and that being said, no one talked about Teddy Bridgewater. Neither of you guys brought Teddy's up Teddy Bridgewater well. ripping the ball. He's playing out of his freaking mind right now. And neither of you guys brought it up. So, Ben, you didn't. You the didn't last person who deserves to be brought up is uh, Patrick Sutan, who's probably right now playing the best of the top 10 picks. Slater, Slater was outside the top 10. Yeah, so Patrick Sutan right now. That boy's for real. It's sick to see. Are you saying that George Payton was right in drafting a cornerback? Yeah. Over you know Justin how hard Fields? it is to find franchise corners, said the man who had like four of them at the time at which he said it. That is our show, uh, the Friday show. It's worth noting uh, that we had news break as we were talking. Uh, I asked Stephen at the top if Christian McCaffrey news uh, had developed. He said no. Uh, around the NFL reporting, he's going to miss a few weeks with a hamstring injury, so Chuba Hubbard up. So news always breaks when we record. It's always nice to get it in before we close but thank you steven thank you caitlin for an excellent week three show we will be back again uh right before week four and every friday for the rest of the season to preview the upcoming weekend slate of course steven and i as well will be on the sunday breakdown show which drops sunday night early monday morning with kevin clark and nora princiatis so thank you very much to caitlin and steven and thank you of course to our production assistants isaiah blakely and associate producer chris sutton along with arjuna ramipol for his additional production supervision we will catch you same place same time next week